Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. It's a pleasure to bring you this amazing conversation I had with Aditya Bidikar, who is a brilliant letterer, and all you really have to do is type his name into a search engine and then go through all the books that he has worked on and the amazing quality he brings to each and every one of them. Letters for me are, in so many ways, the designers of the voice of a comic. So it's a lot of fun for me to understand a component that, much like drawing, I will potentially not find myself employing, whether in a private project or professionally. But his insights, not only as a writer, but as a letterer, as someone who has worked on many different brilliant creative teams. I'm only going to say that I got a little bit uh, maybe nervous, maybe excited, maybe tongue-tied. But for the first 10 minutes, I can't guarantee that my brain was working the way I wanted it to. In fact, you'll hear me attempt to make all sorts of statements about writing, comparing it to music, of which I have no expertise and have no business doing, and also making statements about writing that upon listening to afterwards, I thought, that actually only works part of the time, and I'm not even covering the whole picture. But gradually, I eased up, got really comfortable with someone who is so wise, has so many great insights and helped me really embrace the part of these conversations that I love the most, which is the creative experience, the understanding of the process, the desire to see as much as possible into someone else's approach, their thinking, their understanding. And it's for that reason that once I got past myself, and really enjoyed just listening to what Aditya had to say and doing my best to remember the questions that I wanted to ask while also trying to follow the spirit of a great dialogue. What I have for you is a real great blessing and it's it's a gift for me to be able to share it with you and I am grateful for the time that Aditya had to share with me and now collectively with you. So it says it's going, it should give you a notification that I'm recording. And um, yeah, I I just, I've made a point now, we're pretty early on, because someone will go, yeah, I'll tell you a funny thing. And you're like, no, wait, please, (laughs) can I put it on the thing so other people can hear it? Keep it for the recording. (laughs) To everyone who realizes that the record button was just clicked and I'm sitting down um, talking with a a great new guest, I'm I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Ditya Bidikar. Ditya, how are you? Uh, pretty good. It's uh, nearly midnight here and I'm just relaxing. It's a Sunday as well, so I had a very relaxing day. So That's I just good. read some comics and that was pretty much it. Can uh, can we can we hear what, what you were reading today? What what you know uh, what was on well, your reading um, list? Or is so some of it not I just, available? I just yet? got this ah. as a comp, uh, which is like the second volume of uh, the Swamp Thing comic I lettered for DC. And the thing is a lot of the time you're you're working on this so fast that you don't always have time to like just sit back and take in the story. And especially with somebody like Ram uh, who works on a, like he has a big plan, right? So you don't always get to know it 
in one issue. So it's nice to like sit down with the whole volume and just like go through it and just look at the things that you've done. So it's nice. And I can appreciate it because I didn't write it. I didn't draw it. <laughs> so I can very happily say that it's an excellent comic. Um, you know, you give me a great opportunity when you, uh, when you mentioned Rob, um, yeah. what, what was that, you know, what was it like just to get, someone's going to go, what was it like working on? So I'm just going to ask the question <laughs> because someone out there is like, please tell me you're going to ask, you know, what was that experience yeah, like? I, because his Swamp Thing has been, I think, uh, a really wonderfully original take, like a whole new avenue to explore with the avatar and who a host can be and what the history is, but also what forging a new history is like. Um, you got to work on it from, you know, a very intricate level. Yeah, and uh, even like months before we started the production, I like, you know, Ram and I are friends, right? So we generally do like a phone catch up once in a while. So even if I'm not working on a particular comic by him, I get to hear like what he's working on. And so I was aware of the Swamp Thing thing since the pitch. And... I was I was really looking forward to it because I felt like um, so I'm a I'm a big Vertigo fan like early Vertigo and stuff but I'm actually not the biggest fan of Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing I think it's not one of the best things he's done I think he's done a lot better like a, a lot of things better but it's obviously an, it's an excellent run and it kind of approaches the character in a genuinely new way and I felt like Ram was doing the same thing again like and. Like, you know, you know how like Jack Kirby says, like the, you know, the the best way to make a Kirby comic is to make your own comic, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's it's almost like that. Like he's taken the basic concept of the song thing, but he's kind of redone the whole mythology and he's brought this Indian connection into it. And I remember being incredibly excited when he told me that, you know, one of the older song things is going to be like one of uh, an Indian mythological character that I've been reading about since I was a kid. And that comes up in, I think, issue 11 or 12. Uh, or right. actually, no, it's actually in this one. So it's uh, it's somewhere like late single digits kind of thing. So I got to hear all of those things. And I got to hear like, and I mean, we started on this with Future State, right? And I actually asked him how much of Future State was going to actually happen in the run or was it going to diverge from it? And he actually didn't tell me that. And he said, like, it's going to be a very interesting relationship. And you're going to find <laughs> out as we go. So it's it's literally in the final issue that you kind of really figure out what the connection with the future state is. So that's that was really fun to read. So it's it's really nice to it's really nice to have a front row seat to well, he is one of the most exciting creators in comics right now, pretty much, right? And yes. I I've gotten to work with him since his uh, third comic, I guess, like Black Mamba. Uh, I lettered all of that except for one story that he'd already done before uh, meeting me. So I've gotten to see him develop, uh, you know, Black Mumba, then Paradiso, Graffiti's Wall. Uh, then I've I've been privy to his, uh, you know, uh, ideas for like Catwoman. And yeah, I remember there's, there's one Catwoman issue where there's a dance thing. And I remember him telling me excitedly, like, this is how I'm going to connect this dance thing with the, actually the plot what's, ha what's happening in the issue so i've actually it's been really exciting it's been really fun I and now I, I i've heard a few things about his detective run as well and that's gonna be a lot of fun as well so. nice his uh yeah his catwoman run really 
it 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 completely like it was a it established a tone right from the beginning and from that moment on I was really intrigued yeah. because I started looking for the things that that made me excited when I read his Swamp Thing so it was like okay well if you're going to get me excited you know knowing of the possibility what can you show me and I thought it was a really interesting way to have her like build a new identity um, you mm. know, sort of establishing herself back among the street kids, but taking on a role of someone that she admired and looked up to. And then also, yeah. you know, all the uh, different storylines that spun out of that and the characters that came in. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I, I can Absolutely. imagine what I think, it was like. Um, to, yeah. Yeah. I think he's really good at, like, he knows the tone that he wants to hit. Mm. And he is really good at hitting that and then kind of working backwards from that into all this other stuff that's important, like character, atmosphere, uh, plot, and all of those things. But like, you know, when you're re- like, when Ram tells me what he's going to do with the story, uh, you you know, like you talk to a lot of writers and that their idea and the final story are very divergent. Like the kind of, uh, you know, there's a hit and miss kind of thing about like how how well they hit that. I think Ram is great at like hitting that tone pretty much a hundred percent of the time. Like, you know, everything else, like you might, I mean, I love his work, but like you might differ on that, but the tone, like, you know, what he wants to do with it, he's very clear on that. So, and it's always nice to see, you know, that land uh, when you can, when you kind of, even blue and green, I remember where he wrote it, like, you know, the whole story was written in a very improvised manner where uh, literally uh, he and the artist would get on the phone and, uh, kind of just discuss what was going to be on the next page. And then the page would come back and he would script it afterwards and then send it to me. <laughs> but I remember him telling me what the story was about and like the tone that he was trying to hit in the beginning. And once it was done, I read the whole thing and I was like, you know what, that tone was all all there all the way through exactly as he had intended, which is really fun to see. Yeah, it, it makes you think, I mean, it. I always want to take what I'm thinking and cast it out there like others are thinking it too. But it makes me think of, uh, you know, a musician where it's like mm-hmm. they, they have this idea of how they want the notes to go. They write them down and then they hit them. And it's almost like they've made that, you know, uh, magical connection between the idea and the reality. Except instead of yeah. there being theory and application, where sometimes application totally changes the theory, it's almost like, no, 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 no. There's a through line from yep. here to there. And once I hit that, then then I know to go on to the next beat. And there's no deviation. There's no, well, I'm going to allow for adjustment here. It's more of like, oh, no, no, no. This was the plan. That was the plan. That's the plan that was kind of written down. And then and then I went for it. Now, you might change some things, but the goal is to like, hey, that beat's yeah. going to be there. Or that intention hmm. is going to be there. How we get there might vary a little bit. But in the end, that that isn't going to change. You know, you're going to hear that note. You're going to hear that tone, I guess, would probably be the, the thing that sticks with me the most. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because I have, um, so I, I also write and I know how difficult it is to hit those things where like, oh, this is the uh, sort of this liminal idea that you have in your head that's a little slippery. It's like, you know, you're trying to catch it and that's what you're trying to do on paper. Like, and as a writer, it's difficult to feel that you've hit even like 50, 60% of that. Um, and obviously like a lot of things do change. Like even in Ram's work, I mean, he's also working in a shared universe and things like that. So there are certain things you have to incorporate as you go and all of that. Um, and I think you need to be aware and ready for that. Like, because 
the point of comics is that it's a collaborative medium, right? Like sometimes you're collaborating with artists and letterers and colorists, and sometimes you're collaborating with other writers uh, across a shared universe. So you need to be ready to kind of, uh, you know, uh, improvise a little. What I think Ram gets very well, and like there's a lot of other people who do, uh, is I want the audience to feel something when they read this. And that feeling just stays all the way through. Even if the plot changes, even if the characters change, I need to know what that feeling is and hit it. Um, you know, there are there are quite a few great comic book runs that don't start that way. Like even Sandman, like Sandman's tone only lands in like maybe the mid-tens, mid like, you know, issue 11, 12, he's starting to figure out, okay, what the tone of this is going to be. And before that, the tone is all over the place. It's like some horror, some mythology, some this, some that. That's so I'm saying like not every great work of writing has that, but Rams does. Like I feel um, so, uh, you know, other people that I might say have that is like Garth Ennis, for example. He knows the tone of each series and he's going to land that very well. Um, or even like somebody like Scott Snyder has like he's always trying to hit the tone. Right. Like I'm, I want this. I want you the story to make you feel something. So. I mean, I basically I disagree with you a little bit, but not too much on that. I guess that's okay. Um, I'm I'm very new. I'm a writer. I've I've only done about maybe thirty odd comic scripts, maybe forty. And like I started in comic strip, and then I eventually moved into writing some comics for different people. And oh, that's cool. each each experience has been different. It's completely different from anything I did in short story and novel work. And and sometimes I felt like I was just winging it. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had an order for like six comic strips. I needed to figure out what I was doing with each one that's about like 18 panels. And the whole right. idea is sometimes like really, you know, what sounds good, you know? And then <laughs> sometimes I would know that there was going to be a two-parter because of how they're setting it up because they, mm -hmm. they, they print them online and they bind them up in books, but they want them to be a, uh, a two-part cliffhanger from the end of each <clears> book. And that one I could usually yeah. come up with a good plot. But then there were a couple of times where it was like, like I wrote one and I've told this one a few times because it's probably my proudest moment. And it's it's also like as close as I get to that idea where I knew where I was writing some Christmas ones. And I knew that if mm. I was doing this, that I wanted to do something that gave me the feeling of the first Charlie Brown Christmas story experience for me, like watching that show and yeah. feeling a very earnest sort of, you know, genuine um, intention behind it, emotion, like mm. a, it felt very different from a cartoon that I was used to. And I wanted to sort of uh, in, uh, employ that. I completely and understand. That. Yeah. yeah. And so I wrote one about where this character who I write for the strip, Greedy Greg, his his nephew comes to visit. And unlike selfish, greedy Greg, his nephew is kind and earnest and has a Christmas list of all these things he wants to do. And it's like hug Santa Claus, give people gifts, you know, very sweet. And by the end of it, I felt like I had tried, I'd done my best to match the tone of the Christmas story and, hmm. and do that. And then recently working with a couple of companies, like I'll do like a six issue arc. And I've realized that for, for most of those experiences, it's those tones that I'm going for. So that by one to two, there's this from three to four, there's this by five and six, hmm. I know I want these things to happen. And yeah, the, you know, the editor's going to come in or someone's going to come in and be like, well, I have a question about this or we have an idea about that. And that's going to change how I'm going to get there. But I, yeah. I know how I, I want it to sound kind of like that mm. Christmas story I was talking about. That's as close as I can come to what, you know, you guys are talking about, because I, I think uh, 
comparatively, you know, you guys are in the middle of like, say, mile 15 of a marathon, and I'm somewhere around my 15th mm. step, you know, and it's really fun. And I love it. But there's also that feeling of like, I haven't experienced enough to to understand beyond what I'm yeah. doing right now. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for each sort of lesson. But also it, it changes each conversation when I'm talking with someone because between like, I recently got a chance to talk with uh, Brad Simpson and hmm. uh, um, I worked with them on Coffin Bar. I, that's, that was actually one of my inspirations, but I was looking through the stuff that there's like a, there's a goal in my mind of like, okay, who do I want to talk to? And then I, hmm. I'll just pick up books that I like and I'll look at things that I like about them and then I'll see who does yeah. it. And then that's how it happens. So I talked to Brad while I was looking through them. I'm like, you know, I'm noticing a ditty on a couple of, you know, wait a minute, I'm, I'm seeing a theme here. Plus also, you know, there's, there's, I think it's part of me trying to get the courage to work up to trying to talk to some, you know, some other writers, like, could I ever mm. get Tynan on the phone? You know, could I ever mm. get Ram V on a call? You know, what would that be like? And also there, there's a challenge I, I still experience, you know, being a young writer. The first time I ever met like Jonathan Franz at a book signing. I think I blabbered like some sort of insanity <laughs> while trying to like communicate to somebody. And, and I think yeah. it's close to like the first time you start writing and they say you're writing to those masters who inspired you when you were reading. But the first right. couple of times you're like, I love you. You know, <laughs> I, I want you to believe in me or, or hear me yeah. or something. And it's such an earnest attempt that it's like picking up a, a trumpet and like, and somebody's like, wow you'll get there buddy you'll, you'll get there friend pal you know sir yeah. miss you know you're, you're gonna get there but in those moments you know you're kind of like ah so I came across uh, this really great moment where where I was uh looking over Brad's stuff and then I was thinking about you know like who else do I want to talk to and I'm like wait a minute that's right do I have it and I kind of hesitated before I reached out to you because I wasn't sure huh. you know there's always that like am I can I do this? Am I like, <laughs> you know, like, am I big enough to do this? Cause I've had some times where I've reached out to people and they're like, I'm sorry, you're not a big enough platform for us. And it's like, I understand. Um, no problem. It's, it's, you know, I, I think uh, that's, that's surprising because I've always thought that comics uh, is a fairly approachable medium in terms of like talking to professionals and stuff. Um, but, but also I can, I can imagine like, I mean, depends on who you reached out to, right? So like, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, but I've always felt like comics people are very friendly and they're kind of, uh, they're happy to talk to anybody. I think uh, the trouble might've been like, like, maybe they were in a promotional cycle and like they figured that your platform was maybe not good enough. But if you reach them, <laughs> reach out to them outside of that and just for a conversation, uh, that might actually be possible. Like I have nothing to promote. So like for me, it's not like, uh, it, it's one of the nice things. I mean, I kind of got into lettering partly because it's sort of a backend activity. So I'm not the face of a project. And at the time as a writer, I was very nervous about it. Like I, 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 I used to be very stressed about the fact that I'm putting a lot of myself into each project and how will it be received? And, you know, it'll affect my self-esteem and so on. So lettering was almost, almost relaxing in that way. Like somebody else takes the blame even if I mess up, it's perfectly fine. Uh, I don't really get the credit, but uh, like, you know, a big credit for the success of the book, but I'm actually quite happy about that because, um, you know, it lets me, it let, lets me get up every day and be excited about the work rather than about how it's going to be received or something like that. 
term you know yeah. and i'm i'm trying to inculcate that into my writing as well now where uh, i've had a few things published recently and it's just like i'm no longer particularly nervous about how people receive it because i'm more concerned about oh i knew what i was trying to do and i think i got there like 70% other people's opinions yeah don't really matter at this point <laughs> There is a feeling that that I have once I've gotten something done and I know that I can walk away from it. And that's usually mm-hmm. that sort of like, hey, look, I, I know what I wanted to do. I know what I did. I know how much time was available, you know, if I want to fix anything or things like that. But I also know that I'm at a place I could just walk away from you now. You know, yeah. um, sometimes I can put you in a drawer and come back to you. And other times I can be like, nope, whatever's going to happen with that. It's done. Yeah, that it's thing's- done. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Like, I... I- I talk to a bunch of my writers right like uh, you know we get on phone calls and stuff and i've noticed this trend that i used to have as a writer as well which is that once you're done with something you just try not to think about it for a long period of time like or <laughs> or you don't think about it like because you're like okay this is done this is published i can't work any longer to fix it because it's already done so let me just not think about it for a while and as a letter i don't particularly feel that because I mean, I obviously feel that about my own work where like, I feel like, oh, the lettering on this is done. I can't really make any more choices. So I'm not going to look at my lettering while reading something particularly. But I can sit back and read the book itself because it still reads to me like I was only like a small contributor to it. And most of it was done by other people. So it reads to me like, hey, I'm reading my friend's work rather than I'm reading my work. Right. So so because I, I, you know, once in a while I'll tell my collaborator that, hey, I just reread this book that we did and it's really cool <laughs> and I really loved it. They're like, yeah, I have not really read it after that. Uh, let's not talk about it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I have no such compunction. <laughs> well, it's fun for me now to, to look at that because uh, you, you have a great story. I, I, I loved reading, just doing my share of research and, and finding out that you I mean, I think my favorite story was in an interview where you're describing like, yeah, I, you know, I was doing some writing. I was, you know, writing comics. I was trying to get hired to write comics. I write a comic. I get someone who's visiting to take a look at it. And all they do is critique my lettering and all they, you know. Oh, they- no, no, no. The tone of that was very different. That was a favor that they did to me because they were like, they, you know, they were like, you're right. The writing is fine and the artwork is fine, but, you know, the lettering doesn't quite work. And then I asked, I asked them because I was like, wait, I had never thought about this. Can you, can you walk me through it? And like, this was, this was Tony Lee, a British writer who, who's worked on Doctor Who and stuff. And he did me the absolute charitable favor of sitting down for half an hour and walking me through what I could be doing with the lettering and what I was like, you know, all the opportunities that I was missing to use lettering as a storytelling tool. And after that was when I got obsessed with lettering because I was like, I had never thought of this as a storytelling tool, you know? Um, it's it's a bit like my friend Haas uh, says once in a while that if you like movies, most people will want to become an actor or a director, but then they go onto a set and realize that, hey, I would actually love to do the lighting or I would love to do the costumes, but I just, as a viewer, I just never thought of that as an avenue. Mm. Right. So as a reader of comics, I had never thought about lettering. And then the first time I made it and I realized that I actually really enjoy this more than the writing because it's such a wonderful problem solving thing. Uh, So 
if my tone in that interview was a little complaining that this person critiqued my lettering, uh, that that is not it wasn't meant as that. It was actually meant as like a you know a gratitude, pretty much. No, I I could have been reflecting the interview incorrectly in my tone. So, but what what I draw what I drew from it at the time was this feeling of like you know they they pointed out something that you I think as you described it hadn't even really given as much thought to, and yet they were able to point to that in such a way that afterwards yeah. that was kind of the only thing you were seeing, um, yeah. you know, or, or that was like the focal point. You know, after that it was mm -hmm. like somebody put the spotlight on and they walked away and the spotlight stayed, and you're like, yeah. yep still right there just exactly winding spotlight <laughs> absolutely and, then, and i just i just couldn't stop thinking about lettering after that <laughs> but you had enjoyed um comics up to that point as you mentioned as a reader and i loved hearing that you enjoyed stuff like uh asterix and tintin which i could yeah. never get my hands on because they were always <laughs> in the school library and most of the kind right. of tougher kids who didn't want to read books would get the comics and I'd see them like looking and laughing and pointing and I'd be like, fine, I'm going to get a, a biography of David Bowie. Okay. Or, you know, uh, the Bowie knife maker, not, not the, uh, not the cool musician. Not the rock star. <laughs> no, no, no. So I would get a kick out of like, you know, the fact that I was trying to do like this good thing of like, you know, read big books and become a, cause I liked reading that much, but then I would see mm. them having a lot of fun with the comics and I'd like, man, I'd probably enjoy yeah. that. But I can never get my hands on it. Whenever we went to the little library at school, they always got all the comics. And I was like, all right. Hmm. And then there was a stigma. But by the time I got into them, it was it was a really great experience. And and then I would go back to those great books. So you had Tintin, you had Asterix. And then yeah. was there an, uh, was there like a, a stepping off point where there was older books that you were getting into that sort of like introduced you to a more mature comics? Or was there any yeah. sort of development like that? Uh, there was, uh, but there was a little, there, there was a big gap in the middle. So I read kids comics till I was around 12 and I didn't really want to stop reading comics, but the thing is those, those comics stopped appealing to me. So like mm -hmm. I was reading Archie, like obviously the Tintin and Asterix books were like, I used to reread them every few months, but other than that, I'd read some, some of these digest, uh, reprints of like Marvel and DC and, uh, you know, Archie comics and a lot of Indian comics. And by by around the age of 12, I was simultaneously reading stuff like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and, uh, uh, you know, Leo Tolstoy and stuff like that. And this felt very immature in comparison to that. And at the time, I was completely unaware of the fact that there are comics like that being published, like comics that are for adults and like they deal with mature subjects. So at the around... Uh, I, at the age of 12 or so, I kind of stopped reading comics. And then I think I was like 19 or 20. And I'd gone to the British Council Library where I used to, you know, voraciously watch movies and read books. And there was this magazine called Sight and Sound, which is a British film magazine. And I used to obsessively read the movie summaries in that because that was a way for me to like, I don't have enough movies to watch here. I'm, I live in India where you don't really have DVDs of all these movies. So I'm going to read this like 200 word summary and try to imagine <laughs> the movie in my head. Um, you know, that was where I was exposed to like Japanese horror movies and stuff like that. And they had an article that was the standard like Biff Bam Pow, like comics are not for kids anymore kind of thing. And that was, I, I literally, I saw the images 
from like Uncle Sam and Sin City and Watchmen. And I just grabbed a piece of paper and I made a list of every single comic that was mentioned in that article. Because I was like, that's, that, that's what I've been looking for. Like, I didn't know those existed. Right. <laughs> so I read Uncle Sam. I read Watchmen. I read Sin City. I read Sandman. Uh, then I branched out to like uh, everything that Frank Miller had written. Uh, so that like Martha Washington, all his crappy Robocop comics, uh, <laughs> you know, Robocop meets Terminator, whatever. <laughs> and then I read like uh, Alan Moore. And the thing is, he didn't appeal to me at the time because Watchmen, I don't know if it's a great gateway comic. Uh, like it was interesting. It was a good read, but it didn't really like set my world on fire at the time. But then I read Sin City and Sandman. And those were the two things that really fired up my imagination. That I was like, oh, I get this. I understand what this is. And then obviously I went back to Alan Moore later and like, he's pretty much my favorite writer at this point, including Watchmen. But at the time, maybe it was not the right thing for me to understand. And immediately as I read those comics, I realized I wanted to write them. Like I wanted to write comics that were like that. Because I'd been writing prose in that in the meantime, and I, I had sort of toyed with writing movies. I mean, I have like a few half-finished movie scripts somewhere on a hard disk uh, that I wrote as a teenager. Um, it was never serious. It was just like, okay, these are the media that I know. And then when I read these comics, I immediately felt like this is a kind of a home medium for me. I understand this medium. Or at least that I want to understand the mysteries of this medium. Like there are, there are certain ways I feel it works and there are certain ways that I don't understand how it works. Like it does these beautiful things that I that movies can't do, that pros can't do. It's like, what, what, is, what is going on here? And I really kind of got obsessed with the medium. And then, then I, I kind of tried to write and then you've kind of caught up on the story there. So <laughs> yeah, that's how comics came back into my life. And so I don't really have that much of an affection for superheroes. I, I like them. They're a nice pulp medium. So when I want to, like superhero comics are the equivalent of like, crime fiction or like romance fiction for me where these this is the trash that I read like this is like what I read when I'm tired and I don't really want to think about anything I read superhero comics uh, but I don't have like an innate affection for them but Vertigo and like those comics I really like those obsess me because that's that's what I wanted to write that's what I wanted all my life I like that kind of weirdness I like I like I like comics and books that make me a little uncomfortable and kind of make me my you know make my world a little bigger so I, uh, that I was a very long wide answer <laughs> to like continue reading comics through your teenage <laughs> but it, it was it was everything I could ask for and 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 more <laughs> <glad> because <laughs> well because you know there's a moment when you start to remember and it's almost like you can go back to that experience and and not quite relive it but um kind of channel the feelings that you had in those moments, the excitement, the curiosity. Um, and listening to you, I was thinking of the same things. There is always like those moments where you you stumble across something and it's like, wow, okay, two things. That was beautiful. I wish I'd written that. Um, <laughs> how do I do something with those two feelings? This idea of like, wow, yeah. that was really amazing. And, and wow, I wish that was something I had, you know, I had understood or seen before you showed it exactly like. and I, I crave that feeling because I feel like I'm always looking for the next thing that genuinely blows my mind like even at the age of 37 I'm looking at I'm looking for things that will make me feel like a teenager and obviously those are very different things now like 
the last thing I had that about was probably the French movie Titan, which is like a very gory kind of horror movie where a woman has sex with a car and becomes pregnant. But like that is the kind of movie where I'm like, oh, I haven't seen anybody do this. <laughs> or like, or, gotcha. or the one before that was like the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover, which is this beautifully formalistic movie from the uh, 80s by Peter Greenaway with Michael Gammon and Helen Mirren. And it's just, it's just beautiful. It's like the, all the costume design is by John Paul Gaultier. Uh, the food is actually like designed. Each room of the, like, you know, there's a horizontal panning sequence in that. And each room is in a different color and people's costumes change as they go from room to room. And that was the thing where I was like, oh, there are people who think about movies the same way that me and my friends think about cocks, right? Where like, oh, we want to push the medium. We want to do something that you haven't seen before. Uh, so I, I, I still love, I still crave that. I still want to see the next thing that makes me feel like that. I, uh, I love the excitement, the passion behind it. I have to wonder, you know, when you're thinking about lettering, you know, uh, one of the questions that I had been wondering myself and, and I hadn't quite seen the answer and maybe I'd missed it in some of your other interviews, but, you know, when you're starting on a project, is there a, you know, is there a vision is there an idea that you've got from from reading it? I know that some of what I read, you know, you're you're reading through the script and you're kind of getting a, a feeling for it. And then I also wondered, like, does design come into play where you're writing the letters and thinking about design, or the design is influencing how you're writing the letters, or is it is it more about, you know, I, I guess to compare it to what you were saying about Ram, uh, when when you have an idea, does it translate directly from the brain to the page and um, it, it, it doesn't feel like there's a deviation. Does it feel like there's a, a deviation, but that it keeps the same tone? Or is there more about your process that can fill in what my guesses are clearly not going to you know, hmm. just nail? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's an interesting question because uh, one of the reasons that I feel I'm cutting down on my lettering work these days is that hitting that tone has gotten a little too easy. where I know that I can hit that tone that I want to hit like 90, 95% of the time. And it doesn't quite feel as challenging as it used to. So I need to go find something that's a little more challenging <laughs> right now because uh, I, I want I want to, you know, it's like a tightrope walk. Like you want to feel a little scared. You want to feel a little like, I don't know if this is going to do 100% of the things that I, I'm trying to do with it. And the more you get to a point where you feel like, oh, I know exactly what to do all the time. I get bored, I start getting bored. So uh, I would say at this point, I mean, one of the great things about working with somebody like Ram is that he'll still surprise you. You know, like he'll still ask for, for something where I'll do something and he's like, nah, I think, I think, I, I think you can push yourself a little more. I think you can <laughs> do something weirder. Like let let's, let's try have. a few other things. Yeah. Um and um I don't I don't know if the design plays a big part because usually the design is done after the lettering, uh, especially the first couple of issues. But every time the design has been done before the lettering, I would say that it has helped a lot because uh, it allows me to get like a visual treatment in mind. Um, you know, like uh, for a comic like Versus or uh, Motor Crush, where Tom Muller was working on the design around the same time that I was working on the lettering. Uh, so we probably designed the pitch together. Like I, I did the lettering and he did the design. But then when we came back to do the whole issue, 
I took cues from his design to kind of integrate stuff or like he took cues from my lettering to kind of do other things. So that's very nice uh, when it gets collaborative like that. Um, I would I would say that my method of trying to figure out the lettering style for a book is still the same, which is that before I read the script, I will look through the artwork and get a sense of the atmosphere that the artist is going for. Because the artist is pretty much the architect of the atmosphere in a comic, right? Like the writer can intend all that they want, but if the artist has not been able to hit that, it's kind of irrelevant. So I'll look at the artwork first and then I'll read the script. And so then between the two of them, I generally get a visual treatment uh, that I want to go for. Um, and I would, I would say that I will still do like three to four options for most books. And I make it a rule that I will never offer an option that I would not be happy with the team choosing. So you know, because it's one of the most frustrating things as a designer to do an option that is just for them and not for you. And then they choose that one. Right. So I, I've made it a rule that I'd never do that. Um, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the style kind of comes to you almost in a flash. So coffin bound, I, I don't think I gave Dan any options. I just said, this is what I'm going to do on the book. Like I, I am, I am a hundred percent confident about this. Uh, and the same with the uh, department of truth, though I did give them a few font options and uh, with department of truth, it was like the treatment is so strange that I felt obligated to give them a more normal option just in case they got scared by the weird option, <laughs> but they absolutely loved the weird option. Right. So I think the weird option works. That's one of those comics where, <laughs> you know, when I saw that again and I was like, that's right. And he does this too. Definitely got to talk to him. <laughs> like it was one of those reasons why, because you've got quite the range and that's a, you know, a really uh, well also story. like, uh, I mean, I mean, I have good taste in comics. I, I feel, I genuinely feel like, I I've read your work. I've I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, almost every collaborator that I've done multiple books with, it's because I loved what they were doing, not just because it's fun to work with them. Like it's because I like the books that they produce. Um, so I think, uh, I think I, I use myself as a style gauge uh, as well. Like when I'm like, okay, you know what, uh, if I'm, if I like working with this person, or if I feel like I want to work with this person at some point of time, then it's, I, I think I'll probably like uh, all the other books that they do as well. Well, that's interesting yeah. that I, I wanted to point out because I, I really noticed, um, you know, I got a kick out of the fact that I saw that you had done um, Coffinbound with Dan Waters and then later you went on to do uh, Arkham City, Order of the yeah. World, which both have this very, very unique style of um, mm. narration, very unique style. I mean, Coffinbound, I feel that it's like, you know, as close as you can get to like a poetry prose translation to comic in yeah. a lot of the dialogue and It's like a lot of Harold Pinter and Beckett thrown in. <laughs> yeah. I would have probably tripped over my own tongue four times trying to just, you know, drop that one out there. But the way you did that so perfectly, yes, there, there was just, you know, it was so clear that there was this, you know, idea behind. But then I, I was thinking about it, I was like, so, you know, out of curiosity, curiosity, what's it like when you've already, you know, worked with um, someone on, say, something as interesting? Some people might say weird, some mm. people might say out there as, say, coffin bound, and then bringing so many of those qualities, I felt, into uh, Arkham City, you know, where you're, right. you're taking... Do you want to restart the recording? Uh, like, it's less than a minute left. I'm not sure what it's going to do with it. Okay, so two things. One... Right. 
Um, so Coffin Bound was personally one of my favorite projects to do because as a reader, I think I'm the one person target audience for Dan Waters uh, because I, I really feel when I read a Dan Waters book that he's literally writing for me. Um, and I feel like that even with his new Azrael book where, you know, he's doing all this biblical stuff and like all of that, uh, you know, the tone that he's hitting, it's just, it's perfect for me. Uh, so when he uh, and Danny were going to do Arkham City, I was obviously on board very quickly. Uh, but I think, I think the person to credit for the strange tone that we managed to get in that book is actually um, the editor, Ariana Tuturo, uh, who essentially let us run wild on the DC universe. <laughs> because <What> I, <laughs> yeah, because I asked her like, okay, since this is an Arkham City book and you know, it's related to Arkham Asylum, uh, would it be okay if I do the same thing that Gaspar does in that, where, you know, every single uh, person in the asylum has a different lettering style and so on. Would it be all right if I do that? And she said, yeah, perfectly fine. And it was only like after we'd finished issue three I, that I realized that this was actually happening in continuity. <laughs> because th when I found that out, I was like, wait, you let us do all of these things in the DC universe. <laughs> I thought it was like a Black Label Elseworlds book or something like that. So that was a delightful experience where like, I don't think we had to particularly compromise the strangeness of the book. Um, wow. And that was obviously, you know, a lot of credit goes to Dan and Danny uh, themselves uh, as well, but uh, the editor as well, like she kind of just allow, allowed us to kind of, you know, um, I, th I think, uh, I don't remember who it was who said that, like, if you want me to, like, if you're, if you're hiring me to do something, then you want, me to do it right like why would you want me to change what i do to fit something else like the right. point is that you want my individual voice and like you know that kind of stuff and i think ariana and obviously and like black label editor chris conroy are like two people that like that i've worked with who really i feel like they really understand this idea that oh no you hire somebody and you let them do their thing right so i think that's partly why we got to do arkham city the way we did so and it didn't feel like a compromise at all to me. Like, I think I compromised it a little bit in terms of uh, the main lettering style was a fairly straightforward, like readable style. Obviously it is still like a little wavery and it's still fluid, but I, I decided not to compromise readability, but that was not just because it's a DC book. It was also partly because I knew the weirder things that I was going to do with all these individual voices. And I felt like you need something straightforward to ground you uh, in the book before you kind of uh, do all the strange stuff. So yeah, that was a real, that was a really good experience. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I can tell you that Dan Waters had a similar effect on me with his Lucifer run. Um, mm. When, when I, yep. so I was reviewing his for a uh, comic website, just like doing those things where you're like, how can I invest myself writing and what interests me and that was hmm. uh, something that was a title they threw my way. And the first time I read it, I was kind of just a step back yeah. a little bit. And I was yeah. like, okay. And then I read the next book uh, by him and I was like, okay, buddy, do you, have we met? Um, I feel like, you know, somehow you've, you've gone into my journal and my diary, yeah. you know, you've, you've found things I've <laughs> talked about and you've brought them to light. And it was, uh, it was a really wonderful experience for me. That's what got me excited when uh, a friend of mine he was like have you heard this coffin bound and I was like <laughs> I, I the name sounds familiar he's like oh man if you like Dan Waters yeah. you're gonna enjoy like he gets to really embrace the weird and I was like 
really? And exactly. I was like, okay. Yeah. And then as soon as I went from that, and then I enjoyed that the weird continued into Arkham City. I did not know yeah. it was continuity. I'm not always as up on I. I'm fairly aware of the fact that when I deal with certain things, when it comes to the story side, that sometimes I'll miss other details where people are like, did you know? And I'm like, oh, no. I mean, I'm glad I know, but I, I was so busy doing this thing or getting excited about yeah. something over here. I, I mean, um, I, I mean, like I, like I said, I found out after I'd lettered issue three that this wasn't continued. <laughs> so, so I'm also not really up on this stuff. So like uh, there was something mentioned in the book where I, like, I was lettering another DC book and I bet noticed the same thing mentioned in both of them and i was like oh so wait so that was a shared thing okay i didn't realize that <laughs> okay so i i feel better i'm not, I'm not the only one who, who does that yeah. where it's like you mean there's a oh yeah okay and yeah. it's it's fun because i i just as, sort of chuckle <laughs> yeah see as a doctor who fan i'm very i'm very into this idea that continuity is a suggestion it's not a rule <laughs> so like Doc Doctor Who continuity is a mess. Like no nobody cares. Like even nobody who writes Doctor Who cares, nobody who watches Doctor Who cares about the continuity. It's just it's fine. Just and tell I, me a I, good that's story. not how I like my DC. Like I think I got I got into DC right before Infinite Crisis. Mm. And I got out of DC right after Infinite Crisis because I was like, I don't want one universe. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why would <laughs> what is this? Why would you do that? <laughs> I uh, I remember it was it was funny. I got into comics because of a friend of mine in the eighth grade, and I remember for my birthday he actually like I didn't really know that there was comic book shops you could go to. I didn't understand much about all these different things that were available. So he'd taken me to a shop, and I remember I just sort of like I, I don't know what to do. And then for my birthday he <laughs> got me Flash number forty nine, which happened to be the one where they killed off the Wally West version. And I was kind of looking at him like. Right. Why would you get me a comic book where they kill the character? And then he tells me later, he's like, did you get number 50? And I was like, I don't understand what you mean. The character died. And he's like, no, no, it's number 50. He came back. And I was like, how? He got shot. And he's like, so you do know that comic book characters come back to life like all the time. And why why would you like, know that? <laughs> what? They can just do that? Are, are you sure? And it was kind of like my precursor when they finally killed off Superman. Because by then I was kind of jaded after a while. I was like, eh, they'll bring it back. They'll bring it yeah. back. I know this exactly. now. But there was a four-year, five-year learning curve where I, I had to sort of like, wait, but I thought you bought me the last book in this series. I thought it was kind of a messed up birthday present. I don't know what's wrong yeah. with you. Why would you buy me a book <laughs> and the character dies? Why don't you give me one through 48? Or, uh, I, <laughs> so my, yeah. my, my development has always been interesting and I, I get a kick out of those things that you, I'll suddenly uncover. And I can almost feel like someone's like, dude, I don't even know if we can call you a comic fan if you don't know this. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. I, I would, I would, I, I would, I would completely disagree with that person. Like, all you need to be a comic book fan is that you like comics. Because as somebody who doesn't really, I mean, I know superhero continuity by osmosis, because like, see, every event comic that I've read, I've generally read like four years after it happened. <laughs> because I, I have zero interest in following a comic. I, I live in India. We don't get singles here. I only figured out how to buy singles with Comixology like five years ago or something. <laughs> Before that, I'd always read trade paperbacks. So for me, that is the native medium of comics. It's a book, right? And a book has no time timeline. Like there's no, like there's no like, oh, this was published three years ago, so it's not relevant anymore. Like <laughs> that's just that's a concept that doesn't exist. 
So my favorite comics are comics that I read, like some, I read Infinite Crisis and then somebody told me that, hey, so like, you know, those people, like they had a really good comic called JLE in the 80s. So I'm like, I want to read that comic then because like this, I don't, I don't know what was happening here and I don't know why it happened. But I would just like, oh, you're saying it's a sitcom with superheroes? I would like to read that. Okay. <laughs> so I, yeah, like, I mean, I have a very scattershot reading and I think I'm a very true blue comic book fan because I love comics. I love the medium. And I'm, you know, the fun thing about not having it, you know, encyclopedic knowledge is that you're constantly finding new books to read. Why would, why would you want to deprive yourself of that? Like I just, uh, somebody posted like a John Bogdanov, um, uh, Superman page uh, today on you know on Twitter and I've read like the death in return of Superman but I read that like that was not like one artist right that was like eight different artists so I don't know if I noticed like John Bogdanov's work in that but then now I, I saw this and I then I went on Wikipedia and I found out that wait he's drawn like a fairly long run of Superman so now <laughs> I can read that like I can I can read like some lovely John Bogdanov artwork uh, which I which I hadn't before. Like I I didn't really thought of his artwork, you know, that specifically before. So now I can do that. So I I, I don't think it's a, it's a problem at all. Like you know you know the uh, you know this this like I mean I have nothing against comic book fans. I have nothing against superhero fans. But this idea that you're keeping up with the universe rather than enjoying a medium is weird to me. Like I think you should read the comics that you enjoy, and you should not read the comics that you don't enjoy. It's as simple as that. I it, I don't I don't care like like I I don't care what is happening with Spider Man right now. Like I I don't I don't know what's happening with Spider Man right now. But I've read like a bunch of Spider Man comics and I really enjoyed them. That's a, that's it. Yeah, I kept up when I was a kid and I would read all the comics that most people didn't say were like the big ones that like people were buying Spawn and yeah, I was buying JLI, JLA, JLE. Mm. Like those were the comics that were fun to me. They were funny and they yeah. were fun. I like the flash. No, those are good comics. Like, yeah. You know, I liked other ones that 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 made me feel something. You know, and and that was about as as much as I got from it. it. It never got into the like I need to buy these collector things for this collector thing, or I need to buy all these books so I can have this entire storyline. And you're right. Later on, it would be fun to to see that there were these crossovers, and then later I'll find yeah. some bound version of it, and I'll go, okay, now I can read the whole thing and figure out what everyone was going crazy about. 25 years ago and yeah <laughs> it could be I a... actually I actually remember the moment where this solidified for solidified for me so yeah. when I got into comics I tried to find other comic book readers in India and you know kind of like you know make a club kind of thing the way like we'll exchange comics and stuff and obviously I found a lot of people who read a lot of manga and like European comics and I got to know uh, a lot of new comics and stuff and I was having this conversation with somebody and I was talking about how much I'd like JLE JLI and he was like, yeah, but they ruined it with identity crisis or something. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, no, you find out that this was really that and like Ralph Dibney and Sue Dibney, something, something, something. And I was like, you know, this is all made up, right? <laughs> like, you know, that person was different. Like the person who wrote that run is a different person from the person who wrote this. So this doesn't actually affect that. Like, this is a different story. Just because it's the same character. Like, they're not real people. It's fine. How did they handle that news? Did they, did they struggle with know. it? I don't okay. think they computed it. Like, I don't think they could compute it. 
<laughs> well, I, and I think that's where you get to a really interesting thing that you mentioned earlier, and it's this whole idea of continuity, right? In their minds, someone else came along and changed the identity of those characters from those time, and and that's what's occurred. Yeah. You you know, they exist in this sort of like ether, you know, of yeah. imagination, and that whatever new take on them, that that's what their form is, and that's what it always kind of has been, and yeah. Sure, that can be a fun way to view the medium, or you can view the medium as it was in the moment it was done and kind of reflect on on that, or you can just enjoy a great story for a great story and great characters. And No, and, and I, I think people forget that the idea of canon was created as a game. Like, essentially what happened was, uh, you know, the canon used to be the biblical canon, right? Where, right. like, these are the books that are that matter and these are the books that don't matter. And then somebody decided to make this a game about Sherlock Holmes, where right. <laughs> what is Sherlock Holmes canon and what is not. And it was it was a game. It was like nobody is supposed to take it seriously. It was a funny bit that some Sherlock Holmes fan wrote for other Sherlock Holmes fans. And now it's like an established thing where, no, it's it's a game. It's like, you, so now we have something called head canon to kind of uh, create an alternate version of that that's actually like really applicable. It it doesn't matter. Like this is like it's a made up character and the things that happened to that made up character, what happened before, what happened after, only matters for that story. Like, you know, for example, I don't I, like I I think Superman's parents being alive is a better option than Superman's parents being dead. But one is not more real than the other. It's like oh no, those <laughs> stories were also Superman stories. These are also Superman stories. It's fine. You know, or like I I was a big fan of the stories that happened when Superman and Lois were married. Same with Spider-Man, for example. And after Spider-Man, One More Day or whatever that book was, I haven't really read Spider-Man. But that's not because those are not real stories or anything like that. It's just that, no, I liked the stories where they were married. And the stories where they're not married are a little less interesting to me. Because I, I'm, I'm a 37-year-old man. I like to read stories about adults like i don't i don't really want to read stories about perpetually single people that don't have relationships right like so i want I, I like the idea that superman is a man in his 30s who's married and has a kid like i i like that i don't think there's a problem with that but that doesn't mean that if they suddenly you know made him younger that would not be real or anything it's all, it's all <laughs> this is where i'm going to be reminded of the fact of uh something i enjoyed and that i think you echoed for me you know before I, I was able to bring it to this part of the conversation, you were talking about Vertigo. And that was one of my returns to comics right around my, my college years after I kind of tried, you know, going out and meeting girls and spending my money on things other than comics or realizing that the budget for comics didn't work if I was trying to go out and spend money yeah. other places. But a friend of mine got me into uh, The Invisibles by Grant Morrison. And for me, yep. that was a really wonderful reminder of just how you know, wonderfully weird comics can be, just how outlandishly wonderful. And that yeah. that actually brought me back to some of the superhero ones because when I read his superhero stuff, it was also wonderfully weird and, and you know, a bit of a, exactly. a twist. Like a lot but of also, 90s superhero stuff is really fun and weird. It's like, there's Grandma. I have a huge Patrol, stack of it that's Kronos. probably worthless. And, and I love it all. I don't care. People are like, those comics are worth nothing. And I'm like, I have all these 90s comics that I still love and adore and I will read them over yeah. and over again. And I don't care. Because the story is what's valued to me. The, the book isn't, I mean, you know, take, the take DC version. 1 million. That's an entire event that's technically speaking not in continuity, right? Like, it's yep. like, it's, it happens like, a, it's issue 1 million, right? 80,000 <laughs> AD or whatever. 
obviously that's not going to be the real future of the dc universe or whatever like in right we're not going to hold so true to that <laughs> exactly if, if comics are still being published in 80000 whatever i don't know if that's going to be the continuity of dc comics <laughs> but who cares like it's it's beautifully weird comics where like people are coming up with strange stuff uh, to entertain themselves and each other it's Nice. And that's that's why I remember there was like Peter the, Milligan's uh, '90s comics, man. Like I love Peter Milligan's comics in the '90s. They're just yeah, so strange. Well, yeah. and that's where I go back to the Invisibles because there was a great issue that ends and begins with the same line. You have to remember, mm. it's all just a game. And for me, that was yeah. just such a wonderful reminder when like things got a little crazy. Your personal life goes a little bit nuts. You have family things to deal with. You know money uh life and death all these different things that come in and every once in a while i would just think back to that great moment and think it's all just a game right yeah, if you yeah. only bring it down to that level and you just remember that it's as serious as you want to make it or it's as unserious yeah. as you want to take it right and it feels like that same idea always holds true for those things that people are like you don't understand continuity and the important that it's like maybe i do and it's all just a game what why it's can't it's a game and <laughs> Yeah, and if you if you want to give it a little bit of a philosophical bent, you can literally say like Albert Camus' line, which is like one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Right. So like the point <laughs> of the myth of Sisyphus is that like no 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 this is this is like this is what life is like, but no you can be happy you got you got to be happy. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. None of this matters. It's all good. So in the funnest way, this is this has been comics and lettering and philosophy. Maybe even <laughs> we could be creating a theology here. We'll we'll let others, you know, which which is the great thing. You know, there can always be some form of communication that others will interpret and go, this means this. And you'll go, it it does? We didn't know that. <laughs> we we yeah. had no idea. Um, I'm, I'm going to have some fun bringing it back to lettering because this is also a great lens to view, you know, different um topics that also go with that. I loved reading that you enjoy things like say Terry Pratchett's Good Omens as prose that mm. you return to because it's fun and the author yeah. takes joy in the writing. And I, I agree with that. I, I love there's source material that I found when I've talked with different writers that they're like, there's certain things that they'll read as like a primer before they go and write something either the night before mm. or the morning of. And it's just to yeah. give you that sort of like, uh, you know, uh, maybe take a sip of that spirit that's in that writing, you know, just sort of like, okay, know that. Charge spirit. yourself up. <laughs> Plug in and then, you know, um, and I was curious, you know, you've enjoyed the process of writing in prose. You've, you've turned into this direction of lettering. You still enjoy also writing. Is, is the reason why you enjoy returning to books like that because you also either do or want to take joy in your writing and in your lettering? Is, is, it, is it something where when you go and read someone's joy that they take in their writing, hmm. when you turn around to your craft, does it translate that joy? So it's not like work. It's like, I get to do this, not I have to do this. Yeah, no, you, you've, hit, you've hit the nail on the head. Like, uh, I literally have this thing where like, while some days I sit in front of the computer and the work seems a little bit like a drudge. I'll just pick up an issue of Spawn and I'll look at the Tom Orzikowski lettering in that. And that guy is having so much fun lettering <laughs> that book. Okay. Just so much fun. Like clearly this person is enjoying themselves to the fullest. Or like a John Workman issue of um, Walt Simonson's Thor. Just like, this is fun. 
this is comics like so when i when i was take when i was taking my hiatus and i was you know i was emailing people my clients were like you know what uh, after this point you know my work is going to cut down so i'm not going to be able to take on any more books or like you know i have to exit like you know there was a, there there were, there were a couple of books that i promised to do that i kind of decided that i it wasn't the right time for me to be doing those things and and i had a few conversations based on that and like writers you know with writers and artists and they they were like yeah it's like you know you get so used to this being work that you get a little burnt out and you forget that this is comics and comics is fun like comics <laughs> sure it it does burn you out and you know the production rates are sometimes too much and like weekly comics it can be a bit of a grind all of those things but the reason you got into this is that you enjoy this this is something that brings you joy and you should use that as a lodestone uh, for your future work like after i quit writing my priority as i get back to writing has always been that you don't write anything that is not fun because at this point i don't have to write to make a living right i don't have to write to make money so anything i write is purely because i liked doing it whether or not it sells whether i whether or not i try and get it published whatever i am writing it because i want to sit down and i enjoy making shit up like you know uh, neil gaiman says that you know they pay me to sit and make stuff up right and that's like some some day some day people will find out that that is what i do and they'll ask me to get a real job but till right. then like i get to sit down and make stuff up and i want to remember that like the you know the first time i sat down to write i wrote this like three page uh, terrible rip off of like some clint eastwood movie and my uncle read it and he was like this this feels like something i've seen or read before and i was like no 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 i made this up it's fine <laughs> but like the reason i sat down and wrote three pages of a story was because i enjoyed it like because it's it's like it sounded like something fun uh, and same with lettering right like i i literally get to sit in one place and i get to make weird noises and i like like get to render those noises on the page where like oh what would an explosion sound like would it, would this one be a kaboom or would this be a vaboom or like what what would this be and i make these sounds out loud and i try to like see them in my head and i draw them like that's fun like that's you know that should be fun <laughs> and and now that you get to do that i mean it reminds me of like what they would also have you know i love it when they talk to a professional athlete and he's like you know i get to play a game that most people have to give up once they hit a certain age and i never yeah, had to give it yeah. up like i get to keep yeah. doing it you know and it it's 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 a gift i can honestly say uh, the 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 small amount that i've done any time that i've sat down and i've been like i have you know i have to figure out how to do this it's also that reminder mm. of like yeah but you get to do that right now like you actually get to do someone right now believes that what you're doing you know is something that you can support yourself on right now it, it's, yeah, it's something that yeah. you're being provided an income for and it, it it lets you enjoy that and for the longest time whether it was short stories or novels I was always looking for that I started out as a reporter and I went into a lot of different writing fields always looking for that way to do that thing that gave me the same joy and then somehow find time mm. to do the thing that I actually really enjoy and somehow Honestly, it was simply the fact that I was like, wait, someone said to me, you know, have you tried writing comic scripts? And I was like, I don't know if I'm 
this may sound weird, but I don't think I'm allowed yet. I mean, I don't have any training or I haven't, you know, I, I made myself go to a, you know, after college uh, education simply because I thought I needed that more to be a writer. And I keep, you know, I was realizing that I kept looking for permission to write. And it was mm. like, someone was like, hey, um, no, just, I mean, do you want to do it? Yeah, I really yeah. do. Now that you bring it up, well, then do it. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. And then if someone actually like says, here, we'll give you some money to do this thing. It's like. You managed oh. to, like, you can even say that you managed to doing somebody into paying you for having fun. And that's, that's a perfectly legitimate thing to be doing. Hey, I could say it was witchcraft or hypnotism. And I don't really care which one played into my favor, but the one that worked is, is, is the one that brought it exactly. in. Um, I also love the fact that there's, there's been something I've enjoyed through the learning process, which is communicating with uh, different artists. And I loved when I was mm. reading, whether it was uh, from, I found some of your old substacks and I was reading through some of that. And then I was also reading a great conversation in which you, you describe it like being in a band. You describe yourself mm. as being either the playing the rhythm or being like a um, working with a great bassist, being as part of that, you know, musical collaboration where you're yeah. trying to blend these notes together into something where everyone's doing, you know, their great thing, but they're also doing it with somebody else so that it's building something together, you know, taking these, yeah. these best qualities. Um, when you're experiencing that, you know, is it, is there like, sometimes I'll, I'll get a kick out of when I watch musicians sit down, I got a friend who plays piano and someone would say, Hey, do you, what do you want to do? And someone will either drop down uh, a little, like, you know, seven or eight notes, something, or mm. someone would else say, hey, try this in this key. And someone finds a, a baseline that the rest sort of work off of. And yeah. I was just curious what that's like when you maybe meet a new team, or even when you're working with a team that you've worked with, where say, you've got a writer, you know, you've got one or two other people, like, say you're with Brad and somebody else on a project, and you're like, hey, we've kind of done this before, but let's find our touchstone. Or if it's with yeah. a new group, it's like, hey, let's uh, let's find a place to start from with each other. Yeah. And it's it's that really interesting, where does that begin sometimes? And also, what is it like creating that sound with other people? I know I'm really trying to do something musical with writing, but it, it, I love that <laughs> example you gave. And I'm like, how can I take this and just just sort of pull yeah. it around a little no, bit so he can talk about it? It is definitely an analogy and it's as like with any analogy, it's slightly imperfect, but I think it works closer than almost anything else, uh, like the band metaphor, because, because the point of playing in a band is that all of you are good at what you do, but that doesn't matter if you can't work together, right? Like the Beatles were like, I think other than like Ringo was a really good drummer, but I don't think anybody, anybody else was a like really good instrumentalist. But somehow together, they were like one of the greatest bands ever, right? On the other hand, you take somebody like The Who, where each of them is an amazing instrumentalist. But as a band, they're great, but they're not as great as some other bands, you know? Like, they don't <laughs> hit those heights. So it's 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 a mix and match. Like, you take something like The Stones, where, like, I think it's it's a great, like, something where, like, oh, these are amazing instrumentalists. Like, there's nobody like Keith Richards, but also, like, they work as a band together. So... I think that's a matter of luck because I don't think you can sort of force that uh, where there there are times when I'm like on page 20 of a comic and I'm suddenly, I suddenly feel this feeling like, man, this comic is flying. Like this comic is just 
it's just working it's just beautiful like i am amazed at what we managed to do together and on the other hand there are sometimes when i'm like i don't feel that while working on it but i'll read it later and i'll be like you know what that was bang and actually that was fantastic <laughs> but um um i i think the uh, i was actually talking to a friend of mine today about collaboration where uh, they were like who's the who's the owner of a comic and i was like well who, who whoever owns the copyright is the owner like that can be all of us that can be the writer and artist that can be just the writer but like the point is that we are all doing it together and so she's like oh but if you argue like who wins and like there's no, there's no such thing there's no such thing as winning an argument while you're making a comic is just like oh you think this will make the comic better i think this will make the comic better we're both trying to make the comic better it's like none of us is trying to like win here it's like we just disagree on what would be the better thing to do for the comic and then whoever wins is the person who cares more like you know if for example the writer is like very specific about no i want to do it this way because i think it will accomplish this and then that will like that will allow me to do that later kind of thing then once in a while the letter will be like you know what i don't care about it that much it's fine like we can we can just change it so like i i think the i think what you're trying to look for when you're making a comic is these moments where i'm like i see what you're doing and if i do this thing that will make that like 50% better right so uh, in blue and green there are certain pages where ram has written something and i was like if i letter it this way rather than doing it like a regular caption i feel like the effect will come through better and then once he looks at it he might disagree with that and we'll we'll have that conversation but i feel like the best collaborations in comics are when like when i read a script and i feel like the writer is writing for me not not in the dan waters way that they are writing for me as an audience but they are writing for me as a letter uh, like recently one of those experiences i had was like working with mark wade on world's finest where i feel like every subsequent script he started becoming more and more aware of the things that i could do with that script and he started writing to that and every issue i enjoyed the lettering more because i felt like oh he's giving me more and more space to do something interesting here and i could feel that like and that was almost an unspoken collaboration because like uh, mark and i started talking at some point of time in like issue 3 or 4 but before that it would it had all been through the editor i just started feeling like no this person is looking at my lettering and the next script that they do is kind of responding to that and i'm sure like dan mora probably also feels like that because uh like i'm sure mark is a writer who looks at what you do and then writes to your strengths and then each of us i feel like you know in a good collaboration each of you starts feeling that oh this person's doing these things to make my job easier so then i need to i need to like rise up to the occasion and i i need to like throw in some licks that you know really please them like you know uh, you know like a lot of bands have this where they like you'll see them playing live and they're almost like the guitarist will do something and the drummer will be like will nod and they'll be like oh that that made me happy right so you're kind <laughs> of playing for each other you're kind of uh doing this thing or i i'm going to throw something your way then you kind of do this and then together we'll create something beautiful and that is why i feel like comics are a band metaphor because that i i see this happening constantly in comics where in department of truth james will see that oh you did this in issue 3 then i am going to give you something to do in issue 
which will play to that strength because I know I can throw these things at you and you're going to try and do something like this. And then at some point of time in issue 10, he was like, wait, you hand letter, right? Like, so do you want to just like hand letter like five things? Right. And he's like, okay, if you don't have the time, it's perfectly fine. I'll write them a different way. But if you do have the time, let's do something. And then I tried to kind of start doing it. And then Martin was like, okay, if you leave space for me, I can sort of do illustrations in that space, which are, which still are, which are still not going to take that much time. So what I ended up doing was that I hand lettered like uh, diary pages on the iPad and then Martin printed those out and like drew on them and then rescanned them and put them into the book. Right. <laughs> so like, that's the kind of thing where I feel like you, you feel like it's working. You really feel like we are in tune with each other and we are kind of all working towards the same goal. Uh, I've been lucky in that most comics I've done have felt like that. Like I don't really feel like I fought against, uh, like I, I like I don't feel like as a letterer I've been fighting against the writing or the artwork or anything like that. Like at least in the last five or six years I can't remember anything like that. Do you think uh, it it might have something to do with the fact that if there's if there's only sort of the intention of how do we tell a great story? You know, it's almost like if a band knows hey, this song can be great, or this tune that we're working on, this thing we're building can be great. We just have to get out of the way enough to make it great. Yeah. You know, make sure that, that the things we want aren't the things that are getting in the way, but actually the things that we want for this, you know, or the things mm. that we are looking for this thing to do. If that's sort of the focus, then it makes it easier to make that that happen or yeah. why you've had such good uh, experiences. I think so, because it's like... Um, um... I, I don't think anybody I work with has a creative ego. So if I can tell them confident, like I don't think on any team that I'm on, it matters that I'm the letterer and I'm not allowed to say certain things. Like I have literally today, I messaged a writer saying that, hey, like the dialogue on page eight feels a little off to me. You wanna, you wanna maybe rework that? Like kind of thing. And like anybody else would say that hey, you're the letterer, shut up. Like they didn't do that. They were like, okay, let me let me read this and let me look at it again, uh, right? Um, so I think that's very important that you don't have a creative ego. Like you let the best idea win rather than let your idea win. You know, like there have been times when I've tried to do something that I was really fond of, like, you know, a sound effect or something like that. And then a writer or an editor came back and said like, you know, that's too loud. Like it's, it's taking over the page in a way that I don't think it's, it's working. I could have an ego, like I can, I can try and defend my decision. I can say that this is why I did that or something. But at the end of the day, if they disagree and if like both of them disagree, if the editor and the writer are both thinking that, you know, this is too much, then what would be the point of me insisting that, no, I want that in the book, right? Because, you know, they genuinely feel that they, they, they're not trying to stifle my creativity. They are just saying that it doesn't belong here, right? So then at some point in time, I should take that note. And similarly, like a writer or an artist should also be taking that note where I'm like, well, you need to keep your creative ego aside as an artist. And you need to remember that you're trying to create a book together with other people. And that's the most important thing in that point, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, because, because I think I'm a, I'm a fairly impertinent letterer so to speak, like I don't like know my place as a letterer. Like I, I will, I will offer these opinions, but I think if I was too forceful about it, like if I insisted on these things to the, to the book's detriment or to the annoyance of somebody, 
that's just too much like why do you want that you want you want like a good working relationship and you want uh you want the best book out there possible um i i loved what you're saying there i think you know if your intent is to create a great work with somebody and you can yeah keep that ego i so this is always the thing that that I'm 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 stuck with because my wife listens to a lot of podcasts. I listen to as much as I can, and then sometimes um, I don't get as much. But she'll get annoyed with hosts who have famous histories or have a, a history, and they start bringing themselves too much into the conversation. She's almost mm. like, "Look, I didn't tune in to listen to you. I I tuned in to listen to your guests. That's kind of the important yeah. thing." But I'm also in this process where, like I said, I'm I'm learning things. So my experience will will change the next conversation I have with someone. And I'll be totally honest, I've, I've been learning how to reach out to other people at my level in the industry, whatever that is, um, and, and attempt to have conversations. But there's almost like a feeling of like, some of them aren't quite sure of the question I'm asking, or I just don't know who else mm. to ask. So I'll get on a conversation with someone who is in the industry. And I'll be like, so I had this thing and I'm curious because I don't know if someone else has, and I'm not trying to talk about me. I swear. I'm just trying to understand in the hopes of, uh, you know, like, yeah. No. And uh, I think you also come with a different perspective than our other interviewers, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I, I listen to a lot of word balloon. I listen to a lot of uh, off panel and I've been on off panel once and uh, both of them, like David Harper and John Sundress, are not creators, right? They are people who love comics. They read comics. David writes about comics, while John is purely a fan. And so their point of view is different and it is valuable. But you as an interviewer, I think it's interesting that you're so interested in the process because you're a creator, right? Like you're a budding creator. And I feel like that uh, like you've asked me some questions which I don't know if I've been asked before because you're asking them from the point of view of somebody who's trying to create comics. And I think that's a good thing. Um, maybe, I don't know, like maybe uh, it would be interesting if you kind of just made it clear to people like, you know, whatever I'm saying, you can use that as a jumping off point to talk about, you know, something else uh, or something. But I feel like it is interesting to hear questions that are legitimately like process oriented. Because I'm I'm a process nerd. Like if I if I start a podcast interviewing people, I think like three people will want to listen to it because it'll be all about like okay that page from that comic like you made this decision of this particular pacing like the panels work like this way. What why did you do that and like what made you do that? That's gonna be my question. So I don't know if anybody <laughs> wants to hear that at all. I think there's an audience. I do. In fact, I I, I go in the opposite direction in which I know that doing that isn't my strength. I'll be the guy flipping through pages like, hold on, you did this thing and my memory will, will be really adorable. But I, I, I guess what I'm most intrigued about are the experience of things like you were talking about where you get out of the way. So I recently, I'm working with a couple of friends on an anthology idea and it's a, it's a comic approach where a bunch of friends do a podcast and one of them goes missing and it's going to be like an eight page serial and one mm. of the, the artists, it's the first time I worked with him on the first issue. And he said, yeah, hey, can you take a look at the next couple of pages? I changed um, some of the panels and I changed some of the uh, dialogue because I felt mm. like there were things I could show in the panels that the dialogue didn't require anymore. There were things I could right. do that you didn't know I could do. And it changed the mm. way your script lays out. And he gave them out. And I remember sort of I pausing. I love that like, kind of creator, yeah. Right. And I sort of paused like, okay. I know you're supposed to fight for the things you believe in, but 
I don't really think this is something I need to fight for because it accomplishes the goals of my story. And I've, I've, you know, it was the first time that I'd had an artist do that with me. Up until that point, it had been, I submitted, yeah. you know, and they took the work. And it was a really interesting moment to sort of realize like, okay, one, what can I learn from this? And then two, how can I use this? Like you were describing with, uh, with the example with Mark Wade, how can then I, or James, how can then I take what I know and use it so that it plays to that person's strengths in, in the next yeah. issue so that I'm aware of like what they've shown me. And it's not so a, it's, yeah, hmm. it's not like so a contest. I, it's like, not I mean, a challenge my, my, for authority. No, yeah. it's not a contest at all. Like this is somebody who figured that they knew a way to make this better and they did that. And what I would probably do on that is that the dialogue change, I would revise probably because I would be like, you know what? Okay, I understand. Like, I'll read what you what you change the dialogue to. And then I'll know what you were trying to do with that. And I'll do that same thing with other dialogue, right? Like, I'll probably change. So like, this has happened where um, I've pointed out to Ram, for example, that, you know, uh, this, there are three panels later that this is, you know, the same thing you're seeing in this panel is kind of being shown here. So... I've just re-lettered it and I'm just going to point that out. So if you want to redraft that, you can do that. Right. So I, I like, basically I'll be like, Oh, this needs changing. I have made a suggested change, but you're the writer and you know what the dialogue should be then. Right. So, uh, you know, I would leave that up to them, but also I would definitely take that as a lesson where I'd be like, Oh, this artist probably doesn't need to be dictated the pacing of the page as much as I've done so far. So maybe I just need to kind of communicate what is happening on the page and they can kind of take more of a lead in how to present it. And then we can probably, they, if they do a thumbnail, then we can probably sit together and discuss that, you know? Uh, and that's what like a lot of, I, I see a lot of my writers doing that way. Like issue one, they'll start with a full script. And then by issue four, I'm getting just dialogue in a script because <laughs> what has probably happened is that the script that they sent the artist was probably just an outline. And the artist kind of drew the whole thing and they probably discussed it on the phone over thumbnails and they kind of landed on something. And now the writer has sat down and is writing a script for me. So right. that that has nothing but like page uh, page and panel numbers and dialogue. That's it. Like the script has nothing else. Um, <laughs> and this happens a lot by like issue five or six because as they kind of get used to working with each other, they kind of realize their strengths and the writer realizes how much I don't need to dictate to this artist, for, for example, like you take something like Depart Department of Truth. Now, Martin takes the same layouts that James is doing. Like James is kind of saying that uh, we need to see hints of this historical event or, you know, what something like that. But Martin's going to compose the page in a completely different visual way that James probably is not necessarily thinking about as he's writing. But then Martin will do a thumbnail and they'll kind of, you know, him, Steve and uh, James, They'll sit together and they'll probably kind of say that, okay, you know what, maybe we, if we change this, this could accomplish. So in the end, what is happening is essentially the artist is giving the writer notes as well. And the writer is also giving the artist notes. And I, I think it's a very, I think it's one of the most fun thing about comics. Like if you want a conveyor belt system, then there are other media which are much better for that. Right. <laughs> no, that's you know, the, comics the is interesting... great at this back and forth. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best thing that I discovered from it was once I realized how much you know I didn't need from that 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 part of the instruction of the script, then I could really just come back to okay, all of it works. I just need 
these certain words because they're a key because if I'm doing a serial I need things that you know it's kind of like a detective mystery kind of a thing and then I need things that are specific here that they reference yeah. later on and if I've intended that that's probably the only thing left but it was it was really interesting to to realize like hey if if this artist is telling you they see something that you aren't aware of in this moment and they figured out how to do something in that way take advantage of the fact that it's like uh I always loved the movie late '90s one, the Mothman prophecies with mm -hmm. uh, Richard Gere and uh, I think uh, Laura Linney. And and there's that great yeah. moment where someone's talking with them and they're like, "Hey, so let me ask you something. If there's a traffic jam and you can't see what's going on, but the guy on the 13th floor can, is he God or does he have a better view?" Right yeah. now, I, I think in many ways artists are godlike. I just like I think <laughs> writers are because you know there's a moment when you've created something, and I don't know how much closer you get to divinity than creating something, but that's my take. Um, but I, I do feel like there's that moments where it, it's like you know you only have a 180 degree view at best when you're awake, yeah. or you know, and when you're focused on something. Come on, how wide is your view? But someone's come along and said, "Hey, you didn't see this, but I did." And if, yeah. if I show you this, then suddenly it's like, well, what else can we do with that? You know, if you mm -hmm. show me something new with a view, what else can we do beyond that? Because then I'll be working for someone writing and they'll tell me what they want. And I'll set it up in a way where I'm like, okay, so I can do it this way. And the intention mm -hmm. is going to go here and I can go it this way. And your intention is going to go here. But this is your character or this is your idea yeah. or this is your vision. How do you want this part of it to take shape? Because I'm going to get you there, but I want to get there in a way that feels true to where you feel we started and where you feel we want to end. And then I try and keep in mind that great thing that I got to chat with Snyder, Scott Snyder once about um, something uh, for a great DC uh, chat. And I remember he said Grant Morrison really got into his head by saying, you have to know an ending for these characters, no matter if you mm. ever get to write it, you have to have in your own mind this idea. Yeah, of give you a Batman a beginning and an ending, yeah. Right. And, and this idea of like knowing that gives you that understanding to work with it because everything yeah. is going to be true to those points of reference. You know, everything is right. going to go back to, but how does this mean to, to that? And, mm. and I get a, a big kick out of this idea because at some point, it, it, I think if it's going to work, it has to be the story that is your reference point, that beginning that you have and that ending yeah. that you're working towards and always staying true to that. And like you were saying before, as long as the egos stay out of the way, if you can keep, yeah. I guess, those ideas central, then then you're you're staying as true, I guess, as possible. Yeah. Or you're... So, no, uh, yes, uh, I do agree. <laughs> I went in I a think, lot of think... places. That's my own rant. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I'm, I'm saying no to something and I'm saying yes to something else. Um, so I don't think, so I think, firstly, like, if your reaction to an artist changing your, like, something on your page is consistently annoyance or like you know disappointment or something like that then probably comics is not the right medium for somebody like that because in comics the idea is that the artist knows how to draw better than you right mm -hmm. they know how to tell a visual story better than you possibly like um i mean that differs like the, I, I know writers who produce fantastic comics who i don't feel are naturally comic writers but they get out of the artist's way on the other hand, there are people who can see the page so clearly and know exactly what to put in that apart from what they put in, the artist can change anything else and the story is still true. Hmm. Like you read a Garth in his script 
it is so spare like every panel description is maybe a sentence but it is very specific right and i think as long as like as a writer you need to be clear on what are details and what is fundamental about your story and it is perfectly fine for an artist to change details but if they are if they are messing with the fundamentals of your story and it's going to be a different story by the end that's a problem like that's a collaboration problem like you're then writing the kind of story that the artist not artist is probably not interested in and then that's a that's a very different problem to have uh, it is still not a problem where like the problem is not the fact that the artist is artist is changing your art the problem is that you probably picked the wrong artist um right and like you can you can even look at something like sandman for example where if sam keith and mike dingenberg had stayed through the entire run it would be a very different story right it was only when sam keith decided to step away that neil gaiman realized the possibilities of getting different artists and then you know you could you could do something else so i think you should always be ready to improvise that way but if you're if it's a one on one collaboration if it's like you and the artist producing something together then you need to have a perspective on what is so important that the artist is not allowed to change and what is everything else you know uh now i have had this happen where um i wanted a character to dress a certain way for a certain story reason and the artist did not feel that was important and even after a couple of notes they decided to stick with it and at the time i was like you know what you know why why i i don't want to i don't want to make a big deal out of this so i let them do that but then i read that story 6 months later and i was like no i was right like i was right that that should not have been done while there are other things where there i i literally did a two page comic with uh, you know an old friend of mine where i had each page have like 11 panels like it was a massive uh, it was a it was supposed to be like a tabloid uh, size comic uh, so it was like 11 panels per page or like you know, 10 to 11 panels per page um and just two pages and he just removed all the page divisions and he drew like maybe six images per page and some wow. of them were not even the exact images that i had written and at the time i was incredibly frustrated by this i was like i don't know it was a very wordy comic and because the panels were all going to be rectangular i was going to be able to fit the text but now the panel divisions were gone so i had to figure out how to paste the comic because i am going to paste it in the lettering now and i had to cut around like 40% of the dialogue and stuff and at the time i was not angry about it but i was very frustrated about it and then a year later i read the comic and i was like i don't remember anything else i wanted to get into this comic <laughs> like this comic is complete it's finished it's it works as it is yeah. so like that guy was right like that guy I, i was really annoyed at the time but he was right that it did not need all the detail that i put it oh man that reminds me of uh it was it raymond carver i want to say who uh became known for a very pithy style of um writing and then years later it came out that it was his editor who would take these yeah. massive like 40 page short stories and trim them down to like 14 and it would be yeah, yeah that was raymond carver yeah. and it created his style and yet at the same yeah. time you know there was this question of whose style was it really was carver as brilliant mm. as people said he was or did he have a brilliant editor who made his stories brilliant through editing and yeah. and it was an argument that it's like yeah go ahead 
throw your two cents in, have some fun arguing for however long you have the wind to do it. Yeah, as, as long as the two of them are happy about it, I don't think about it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But I got I mean, I've had this approach. happen when I've had this happen when I I was I was writing a story for like a uh, anthology and I sent it to Ram and Ram was like, it's a perfectly good story. You just don't need the last thousand words. Like just cut them out. Like that's none of that is necessary. And at the time I was like, oh, that is too big. And I and I talked to my editor and my editor, my editor was like, no, your friend is right. Uh, we, should, we should just remove this stuff. Oh man. Yeah, you got the second opinion and the second opinion happened to be. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, it is like, okay, no, again, I read the story after publication. I was like, yeah, what was I trying to do in that last section? <laughs> Any way that I was going to add anything to this. So I think what it's important that the writer agrees. I'm sure <laughs> if Raymond Carver disagreed with uh, his editor's notes. Like, see, I I am an I am a writer who takes editing really well in the sense of I love an editor who gets hands on and just kind of digs into it. And when editors are like more, um, you know, they back away and they say like, no, 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 we just suggest and it's your words and stuff. It's actually a little annoying to me because now I have to sit down and do the work. Mm. Um, but I can I can imagine other people don't work that way, and I, it's a, just a collaboration because see. Uh, any script that I will write before I write that script, I've narrated it to like 12, 13 different people. And they've put in their two cents. They are like, Oh, I like this bit. I like that bit. Why does this happen? Why, why does this character do that? All of those things. And I've taken all of those things into account when I'm doing the final thing. So is it supposed to be like by Aditya Bidikar and like all these other people? I don't know. So <laughs> well, they, they all get thanks in the acknowledgements at the end, but I don't know if yeah. I credit them with the story. Let me have for some, some fun for anyone who's done this. I've only recently, you know, tried showing scripts to other people than people I was trying to get to pay me for them. Um, simply because there's like this whole idea of like, again, um, you know, how do you do something you've never done before, right? And out of curiosity for anyone who, including myself, you, you have this thing and maybe it's the first script you've written and you're like, okay, how do I find out how good it is? Like, I believe in what I believe in, but how do I also get the feedback that tells me what a reader's experience is like, not just my experience as a creator? Mm. Like, what are my audience like? Um, and then you start to find, you know, who do you go to? And I can remember the first time I ever read a short story for somebody I knew and I'm like, oh God, like you're, you're listening to me read. <laughs> I'm conscientious of the fact that I'm so conscious of how you may or may not be responding to what I want from you. You know, and there's that right. feeling of like, you want people to connect with the good points and, you yeah. know, look over any bad points, but you also, you want them to be honest. You want to know how well you're mm. doing. What was it like for you with that first sort of like here, you know, and, and somebody's going, oh, you, you did something, yeah. you know, you, right. you know, is it different from like writing short stories and sharing them with someone to them when you were working on like a, the comic script and sharing with someone or. Uh, it is, it is partly because I am. Funnily enough, even though my day job is comics and I and I read like thousands of comics pages constantly, I find it easier to write prose because prose is easier to pace. I feel like I'm in more control of it. Uh, comics is still something I feel like I'm still getting a handle on it as a me on a, as a medium as a writer. Like I think as a as a letterer, I think I'm in reasonable command of it. And even as an editor, I would say at, at this point, I do a pretty good job. But as a writer, I'm still, I still feel like I'm new to it because I don't think I've, I think I've written maybe, maybe like a 
less than 200 pages of comics and i think around 80 to 90 of them have been produced the rest have just been junked or like they were just practice scripts or something like that um so i'm definitely more trepidatious when it comes to showing a comic book script to people which is why i only show a comic book script to other people who are comic book writers uh so i'll i'll give a comic book script to dan ram dennis and hus uh, who are like people who work in comics and know what a comic book script looks like i don't send those scripts to like my random literary buddies or something like that because i know that they don't know what a comic book script how a comic book script works and what its relationship is to the final like i remember one time i sent a comic book script to a literary friend and they workshopped the descriptions and i was like nah and nah, i don't think you get what what what's happening here the descriptions are not what you're supposed to <laughs> like i mean you can give me notes on the descriptions but you're not supposed to workshop them you can't grammar correct them like that's not important um right um so it is important that um you you have different kinds of readers right like i have tiered readers i have um like i have my safe readers who will tell me whether a story is good or not but they will not give me any detailed notes on it at all so that that's where i find my encouragement after i've done my first draft so after my first draft i'm not sure if the story works they'll tell me whether the story works or not after that i go and do my second draft right like at this point i've i've only gotten the note that this story is worth doing that's it nothing else the second draft goes to more specific people who will actually tell me that oh this bit drags a bit like there'll be general notes again but there'll be general notes about sections of the story so like i wasn't entirely sure what was happening at the end or like the middle bit could be tighter or something like that and these are all again writers right and uh, once that is done it goes to like um like more refined comic book people or like you know uh like people who are like i look up to maybe mm-hmm. like like i feel like okay this is as far as i can take the story at this point if i need to take it any further I, it needs expertise essentially right right so that is when it will go to like ram and dan and people and on the other hand at the same time it then it goes to people outside comics where um like if it's a short story then mm-hmm. then my friends will read it where you know these are readers who will tell me whether they like the story or not as like a whole as it, does it kind of hold together or kind of thing so i get an audience perspective and i get an expert's perspective at that point so i have these tiered things which came from like years of practice of doing the wrong thing where <laughs> i gave i i gave a first draft to somebody who should have gotten a third draft right and then they gave me detailed notes and i implemented them but then i wanted more feedback from them but you know what they've already seen the story once i can't waste their time like that <laughs> right so now i know that next time i need to get the story to as polished as i can make it before i get it to them right so these are things that you learn by making those mistakes right like you will you will send the story to somebody who'll just be like hey that's nice and they'll give you no nothing else right so then you know that maybe this person is for the final story or if i feel like i feel a little shaky about whether the story works or not i send it to them and they'll tell me it's nice and i get that little burst of energy you know <laughs> so you you should know who your readers are you should know what you're trying to accomplish by giving it to them and i feel you should never give a unfinished story 
to anybody. It should always be finished in whatever draft. Maybe it's not the finished draft. Maybe it's not the final draft, but it should be a complete story that can be read from beginning to end. Other than otherwise, there's no point giving it to somebody. You can discuss it with people. Like you, you can say like, okay, this is what my character is doing. And like, I don't know where to take him next or kind of thing that you can do through that. But if you're actually giving a story to somebody, you should know what you're doing it for. Uh, and I don't think I would ever read a story out loud to somebody for feedback because I think that their internal voice should be reading it. I should not be reading it to them uh, because then I'm mediating the story in some way. Right. And mm. that's not how anybody's going to read the final story. Like I'm not going to sit and read it to everybody that, uh, you know, is going to see it. Right. So. No, the reading stories thing to people is definitely like, I think I want to say like 16 to like early twenties, you know, where people didn't like enough. reading yeah. it, but they would want you to read it to them. And then it was gradually, it was mm. like, okay, by then I got into college and I'd experienced what like a creative writing workshop class was like. And I got right. used to the idea, yeah, yeah. you know, you, I think we would usually be asked it, some classes they asked us to read it some you know you just handed out your stories and people came back next week and you might yeah. be asked to read a portion or you would just get feedback you know the teacher would just open it up so I was always kind of intrigued with those different approaches because then it's like yeah mm. you're going to find the one that works for you as you get older but also there's this process of finding who are your discerning readers and I think you introduced yeah. a really great idea of a tiered system of discerning readers. Yeah. You know, you start with those who are always going to tell you it's great. And then when you were saying that, I was like, yeah, I can think of one or two who that that's, that's all you ever have to yeah, ask. Yeah. Just take a look at this and they'll tell you, I really liked it. And then if they're the ones who are like, I didn't get it, then it's like, okay, something to keep yeah, in mind. Then you've this got might a big not... problem then. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Cause you're usually like, yeah, yeah cheerleader, you know, you so if yeah. you don't like it, I have to question what's going on here. Right. And then from there, exactly, exactly. you're asking for more expert, more detailed, more specific sort of feedback. Yeah. Thank you, man. That, that's I a really have, good have example. No problem. No problem. Of course. Uh, I have one friend who I would possibly read a story out loud to, and that's purely for rhythm. Like she's a poet. And I would be, it would be great if I, she's sitting on the sofa and I'm standing and reading it. And then she's not, she's not reacting to anything but the rhythm of the read. Mm. Right. So then she'll basically be like, oh, no, redraft, read. like that little bit that you, it, it doesn't come out right. It doesn't, it's not coming out of your mouth right. So you need to redraft that bit. So then I, I'll just make a note there and then I'll sit down and I'll just read it out loud like three or four times and I'll change words and I'll try to find a different rhythm for the words. And that that's the only person I would read anything out loud to. Uh, and that's purely for a reason. And that's the thing I do as well. Like I, with my prose stories, the final draft is always recorded into like a, into, into my phone. And then I played back to listen to it and for rhythm, like just, that's just for rhythm where I need to know that nobody's going to stumble over stuff. And I'm, I'm slowly getting better at that because I don't think that was enough of a priority for me uh till recently and as a comic book person i as a comic book writer i think rhythm is incredibly important because you have like at a time like 10 to 15 words to work with so if they are not reading cleanly in the reader's head that's a problem and this is something where there is a reason that alan moore and neil gaiman's comics read a certain way because those two writers i know they read constantly for rhythm like they write in meter or like Alan Moore literally has these readings of like doing like so like okay the, how how does this flowing like he'll he'll repeat he'll repeat sentences to himself to like get the right rhythm 
so that is i i feel like comics people don't take that into account as much as they should a while like again like somebody like dan or ram will always do that because like um like ram, i i've had moments where i've told ram that oh this sentence doesn't quite read right and he's like oh yeah because i removed the word earlier and that kind of shook the rhythm of the sentence right and i didn't realize <laughs> it. like he's writing to the rhythm so much that when a word is off it ought, i don't even have to read it out loud to feel like the word is off like i'll immediately feel like no there's something off about this sentence and when i tell him which sentence it is he'll be like no i made a change and i forgot to change the later bit uh, to adjust to the rhythms and kind of thing so like you really i feel like comic people don't pay enough attention to rhythm I I'm, I'm I'm really interested in now keeping an eye out for that. I'm not sure if that's something I paid as much attention to unless it was someone doing it really well and and then I noticed the rhythm being important. Yeah. I've noticed it with with my prose and it's it's something that I can make an edit to things if I can find that it still fits the rhythm that I'm creating with the sentence and the language. Like if I yeah. I'm doing something with the language, I understand what an edit note will be. but it has to be done in a way where i can you know feel that same rhythm it's it's almost like that mm. tonal quality we were talking about before no absolutely and almost all my writers do that where if an editor says that oh we need to change this to that then they won't just make that change they will change the entire sentence to fit the new rhythm yeah yeah i i definitely <laughs> that's a fun thing to keep in mind too because sometimes it will change what i have to do with the sentence you know before that or the one after it because yeah. then it's like look You know, if there's an intention here, we're changing it here. It it reflects on the yeah. rest. It's like you can't just go in and pull a piece and and put another one in. Um, I'm gonna steal a a fun note because I I think this would be a really interesting thing to hear when I compare it with any other conversation I have. The letter, uh, my wife and I love to do hmm. the Proust questionnaire with each other, and um, I I love the that Proust I, questionnaire. Yeah, the have you heard of that one? The so like, is it about a, muscle Proust? Or no? Uh, it's it's one that he came up with that it's like a quiz that you ask people and you can ask them at different times in their lives and it always comes up oh, with the right. uh, I, the, the different that. answers. Yeah, yeah, I know what you so mean. Uh, I thought this would be fun for a letter and and you came <laughs> back on for longer and I'm not going to try and do another recording after this one. So here's a fun one for you. What is your favorite word? Elbow. Love it. Like right. I actually have a favorite word, and I it stayed the same for like the last fifteen years. <laughs> elbow. I just love That's that awesome. English. The English language has the word elbow. Elbow. It's beautiful. Elbow. <laughs> and wonderful. funnily enough, uh, funnily enough, my German teacher from college, we were discussing like favorite words at some point of time, and her favorite word in German is libelle, which is a uh, dragonfly. and i find it very funny that my favorite word in english and her favorite word in german have a similar sound like that lb sound has like a pleasing quality to it in some way or like that elbow like there's a rhythm to it there's like a it's like an uptick almost right and even libella has like the same kind of little uptick in the middle yeah no there's certain ones that, <laughs> that's you know, incredibly <laughs> I know and I'm I'm fine with it. I'm 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 totally okay with it because that's that's sort of the fun with it. You know, I I love when someone's like, yeah, it's a swear word or something else, but 
I love it when there's words like I can't say why, but laborious is just a fun <laughs> word to say out loud. It's I mean, it's, this... it also has that LB rhythm the, the uptick. Yes, LB. as soon as you said LB, that's the first word that came to mind me. I was like laborious. I don't know why he said elbow. I said laborious. There we are. <laughs> and then my my last question always is to keep in mind how all of us have such a narrow view that. If I come into an interview, I think I'm asking all of these great questions. I've probably got 30 over here that I never even got to because it's like, yeah, wherever we went ended up being better than where I was. We've got seven back. minutes. You can do a rapid fire. <laughs> no, actually, I'm going to take better One advantage word answers only. And, and I'm yeah. going to say, is there a question that I haven't asked that you would love to answer as part of this conversation? Or is there a question that gets asked where you're like, hey, you know what? a great thing to consider is, is this, or, you know, they never ask me this question, but one day they will. And I've got the perfect answer. Um, I think I've been lucky enough that over the last five years, every question that I really wanted has been asked pretty much um, because, because I think people are interested in my specific position in the industry where like I'm a former writer who's kind of gone into lettering and now is drawing, for example, like I'm now interested in artwork and, um, trying to kind of do that. So like, I think people are, they find my trajectory interesting and they are kind of interested in the same things I'm interested in about it. Um, so, so I don't think I have any unasked, unasked questions about my lettering career, at least I would say. Um, any but, unasked questions about anything else? <laughs> uh, yeah, like I, I actually, it's a question that I've been asked quite often recently and I don't know how to answer it where everybody's like, do you think you'll still be a letterer in another two years? And if you'd asked me that two years ago, I would have said definitely yes. But right now, as I'm taking the hiatus, a lot of people have asked me this question and I have no idea how to answer that. Oh, <laughs> like I, I am I am completely unsure at this point. Like I I, I know that I'll, I will always be lettering something, but whether it will be my career or not, whether it will be like more than one book at a time or not, I don't know because... At this point, I am like, I, I reached that point where certain things are not challenging at the moment and I'm looking for more challenging things. And a lot of those are at this moment outside lettering. Although I do feel like type design is something I'm exploring right now. And I've been exploring for the last couple of years and I, I want to ramp it up. And I'm pretty sure that once I have a better grounding in type design, I might have a different approach to lettering and then that might be challenging in some interesting way. So yeah, so the most interesting thing question, uh, question I I sort of am asked at this moment is one that I also am asking myself and I don't know if I have an answer to that. Tell you what, I would love the chance to catch up with you somewhere down the line and find out what that answer ended up being. I think it would be really great cool. to I'm catch game. up again yeah. and say, okay, so what was the answer? <laughs> I, I would be interested in that because um, I'm definitely writing more now. Uh, my intention is to uh, actually like, I would like it if I have a comic book out next year sometime, that would be nice. Uh, or like next year or like maybe 2024. Like I don't, I'm not too fussed about that, but that is one of my big things in life. And I am really enjoying learning how to draw and that is becoming more of a priority to me. Like I want to spend like three to four hours a day, just like looking at things, practicing stuff and drawing. So 
it is entirely possible that two years from now I might be in a very different place with regard to lettering, drawing, writing, anything. Who knows? Wow. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to talk with you when that book comes out. Let's. Uh, let's. Yeah, I'm, I'm having my midlife that. crisis like three years early. It's fine. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> the great thing is, it's your middle, right? Like you get to decide yeah, exactly. when when your middle is <laughs> and when that crisis occurs. And hey. Uh, it'll be interesting no matter what to find out where you are on the other side of it, you know, look back and sort of go, yeah. yeah so that's that moment that thing happened. We didn't know it was going to happen and look what happened. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's been every big thing in my life has been that where like uh, I had like a fork, I had two choices and I did not know which one was going to work better. And I made the choice that seemed more fun and more challenging. And so far, knock on word, it's, it's not been too shoddy, let's say. <laughs> sort of, it's at least sort of worked out. Glad to hear, because those of us who've enjoyed your amazing talent have uh, have definitely seen how it's been good, at least for us. So we're grateful for it, man. Thank you, thank um, you so much. Like it's it's always surprising to me that um, there are people who like, like the, it's always surprising to me that there are people who, to some capacity, like follow my work in some way, where like they are like. Oh, I like what this person does and I want to see what they do and other stuff. Where I am a little surprised that as a letterer, I am part of this in some way. And <laughs> it, it is really flattering to me because I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I am obsessive about lettering. So I like I have not read Spawn ever. I just look at the lettering. I, I do not read these books. <laughs> like I have like the first like 50 Spawn comics and I have not read a single one of them. I just look at the Tom Orzikowski lettering. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and the fact that there is some people who like feel like I'm in a category that is even slightly close to people like Todd Klein or like Tom or John Workman. It's just like incredibly flattering to me because these were my heroes and like to feel like I'm halfway between zero and them is even, it's very nice. <laughs> You're on your way, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I I thought I was like, you know, like just, just above the ground and just trying to jump a little. But like there are people who think I'm flying a little bit, so which is nice. Um, did you, where, where can people find you if they want to catch up with you? I mean, I, I've seen you out there on the social media platforms. Are there a couple that are your favorites where it's like, hey, you can always find me here. I'm always engaging somewhere. Uh, yeah, like I'm on Twitter most days though it's actually like i'm getting a little annoyed of twitter like i have these phases when i go off twitter but i'll probably be back at some point of time i'm on twitter at, at aditya b um and i'm on instagram at aditya bidikar and i'm not very uh, frequent on instagram but when i when i do a drawing or when i do a piece of lettering that i'm really happy with i'll i'll put it up on instagram so that's my the main function of my instagram Okay. Um, I have a website which is kindly currently down. Actually, it's not like my friend is trying to fix it. Um, it's at other sorry, it's adityab.net, and hopefully, I'm 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 intending to be more frequent on that. Like I'm hoping to use it as a blog. Um, so that is another place that you should be able to find me starting Monday. So by the by the time this is posted, hopefully, it'll be back online. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, yeah, I'm actually so in the same position with a, a website mm. and I moved a couple around and then I keep getting like, I'll, I'll deal with suddenly it's like a hosting field come up and I'm like, okay, I have a real issue with how much I'm supposed to pay for this thing and how much I'm supposed to be using it. And hey, uh, right. we, we've all been there. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you'll be back up soon. 
I know the countdown is going to cut us off in a minute, Aditya. Let me just say how grateful I am that uh, that we were able to do this chat, man. And Thanks, man. This really was this was it. fun, and thank you for your patience in me having cancelled on you a couple of times. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, this was this was a lot of fun. Uh, we should we should do, do, do this again sometime. Oh yeah. man, whenever you've got uh, the time, I would be happy to do it. And uh, if we have to schedule anything, we'll plan for when the comic comes out or any time in between, right? Sure, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds great. Yeah. Thank you, Aditya. I I uh, I can't wait to share this with other people. <laughs>